I have a confession to make. I had the idea to write a book for years before I finally put pen to paper and published the book. So the big question is this, how do people like me who battle doubt and insecurity push past their fears and publish a book? Well, that is the question, and this podcast is going to give you the answers. So join me as I bring you behind-the-scenes interviews and insights so that you can move forward and publish your book with boldness and courage. My name is Coach Tam, and this is Publishing Secrets. What do you do when you've written a book that you know is going to change lives, but you're questioned? about whether or not there is really an audience for the book. You know the drill. What does your platform look like? Do you have the numbers to show that this book will sell? Well, if you've been in a similar situation, you know how difficult that can be to navigate. So my next guest, Beth Walker, has some words of wisdom for you. You're definitely going to want to tune in because she knew that she knew that she knew that the audience was there. And instead of backing down, she pushed forward. And as a result, her book is changing lives. So I want you to listen up. I want you to be inspired by her message. And I want you to take some notes because not only is Beth an amazing writer, she's also a talented marketer. So we talk a lot about how to position yourself for success. Enjoy. Well, Beth, thank you for being here. I'm excited about the opportunity to talk with you about lessons from the sidelines. We've had a great conversation thus far, and I just believe that the audience being able to hear your story is going to be really impactful. So thank you for making time to be here today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about who you are and (laughs) what you do. You know, we were talking about all the many hats that you wear. So, I mean, I'm just curious if you would have named, as you think of it, the different roles that you play. Tell us a little bit about who you are. When I introduce myself, I generally say that I am Beth Walker. I am a coach's wife and a uh, content strategist and an author. Yes. Juggling, juggling many things. Yeah. But I believe based on our conversation, doing many things well, and your mission with this book, Lesson from the Sidelines, is to encourage other women to have their own individual calling, even though they have these different roles. Yeah. Playing. So talk to us a little bit about why that mission is so important to you. Yes. So my husband is a football coach, mainly college football. And uh, one thing that I've seen happen over the last 20 some years is that as husbands have kind of stepped into these roles and really started to thrive in the spotlight of their careers, the wives have almost kind of shrunk back a little bit and just in this anticipation of when will it be my turn? And it's just been a difficult thing to watch because then they, they finally like get their chance, so to speak. And it's the same conversation of, I didn't have to wait. I, you know, I realize now I could have been doing this all along. I could have been 
building my resume or, you know, doing those building blocks. And there seems to be this need for a cheerleader of sorts or someone to just point them to resources. So I just felt like lessons from the sidelines could be that space to say, you've got a calling. God created you with a voice and skills and talents before you married this amazing man. And Mm -hmm. none of that went away. And so, you know, go ahead and use it. And it might take a little bit longer to find that sweet spot, but there's nothing stopping you from adding some building blocks now. I love that. I love that. Before you married him, Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) And nothing went away. You're amazing Hmm. all on your own. That's an amazing message in and of itself. Now, your book is both spiritual and practical. You mentioned the importance of tools. Let's talk a little bit more about why it was so important to you to be able to, you know, kind of package everything and make it easy, if you will, for those that are trying to pursue this path to put everything together. So my journey was a long one to figure out my calling. And I had a lot of jobs in the meantime. (laughs) And so I kind of wanted to help people shortcut that path if possible. And, you know, pursuing your calling, figuring out exactly that sweet spot of where God's calling you is not always going to be this like light bulb moment. And Mm. so what I did is I created this seven step kind of action plan that people can do to uh, help them think through, you know, what are my gifts and talents and the things that make me light up inside the things that give me energies? What are the things that make me want to wake up in the morning? What are the things that make me want to put those covers back over my head? (laughs) And so as you kind of work through each of those steps and narrow down some spaces the goal would be that you would start to see those areas where God's calling you to partner with him in your own spaces. I love that. Partnering with God. Yeah. Hmm. Now you mentioned it was a journey for you to figure out your calling. And I know we talked about at one point you were in the health coaching field. So mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm curious, tell us about like, as you were trying to figure this out, how many, do you remember how many different things you tried? Yeah, well, I was an athletic training major in college. And so my journey was pretty, um, I think there was eight jobs with a fairly long gap of being a stay at home mom in there. I was doing everything from it being administrative assistant to being a health coach for college campus. So sometimes I used my degree, sometimes I wasn't even doing it. I was a swim coach, you know, but what was interesting is that everything had some overlapping. And that's actually Mm. one of the things is that, you know, everything was people related. Everything at some point had a writing element and everything was something that had to do with like encouragement and just like cheering Mm. people on. And so, you know, it's just these random little overlaps that when all was said and done, something could go on a resume, even if it just was the most random thing of being a swim coach, there was some element of it that could be added onto a resume. Hmm. You know, what I'm also hearing is, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, just the intentionality of God and how Mm. the skills were being, you know, built in you (laughs) that would prepare you for where you are now, you know, writing and publishing these books. It was there in a different form, maybe, Mm -hmm. but it was there all along and was likely being developed and refined as you were going through the process. Would you agree with that? 
I would. And I do think we need to remember that nothing is wasted. Even if it feels like we're taking a step back, we can always take that opportunity to say, how can we better ourselves? There are some moments where we just, we have to take what we would consider a space where we're settling. There was a moment where I just said, man, if I continue on this path, I'm going to feel like my life is like a C plus if I had to give it a grade. And I had a friend who was like, then don't do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't have to, <laughs> right? you know, but sometimes we need people to shake us out of those moments. Mm. And, you know, but that's also been a theme is that God's always brought people into my life who've cheered me along. Yeah. You know, that's a perfect segue into talking about the lady that did the forward yeah. for your book. Yeah. I've got to meet her. I feel like yeah. now I've got to go look her up. I've got to meet her and see if I can convince her to be on the show, but she was an amazing cheerleader and mentor for you, which we talked about from my Mm -hmm. perspective as a business person, she could easily see you as a competitor. So talk to us a little bit about that relationship. Yeah. So Carolyn is fellow coach's wife and she's, she's older or more seasoned in their career. And she has been a mentor in the lifestyle of the coaching world and just has always been a voice of wisdom, not just for me, but for many, many coaches' wives. And, you know, at one point she just said, Hey, we need a new voice. You know, she'd written the first coach's wife book that is still in print and still one that I know many coaches' wives get when they first get married. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's just kind of the book because it's a, difficult lifestyle to figure out. And you just kind of need someone to say you're doing okay. And her book does that in a lot of ways. And so, you know, she just said, I, you know, I don't, I don't know this social media stuff. I don't even know any of these things. And, you know, you're the new voice and you can do this. And it wasn't just me. She was saying that too, but she not only was willing to say, you know, write and do the same thing as me, but she was also willing to come alongside me and write the forward for the book. And, you know, she read the whole thing. She gave me notes and just really, I mean, she gave me so much of her time and, but she's also prayed for me through the years. Like there's been moments where she's, you know, said, Hey, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to be praying for you right now. What's going on. And she's just one of those women that I can send an email to at any moment and, or a text. And she's just there. I mean, she's just amazing. Sounds amazing. As you were speaking, iron sharpens iron came to me. And I was like, that was definitely one of those types of relationships for sure. Yeah. And she practices what she preaches. And that's really powerful. So she's kind of passing the baton to you to be the new fresh voice. So talk to us a little bit about this journey to getting lessons from the sidelines written and published. Let's talk about the writing piece of it first. Was that an easy process for you? So I had an amazing editor. She um, worked, I was in a mastermind group and um, she invited me into the mastermind group. She worked with major publishing house. And so the writing part actually was really great in that, you know, she helped me structure my outline and she was there to cheer me along with every chapter. And I, you know, my mastermind group was as well. And so not that there weren't revisions along the way. And there were certainly chapters that were more difficult to write than others, but I had a good structure in place and I had people holding me accountable. And Mm -hmm. so it was, I I disliked editing. (laughs) However, the writing part um, really, you know, 
I don't ever intend to write another book. I, I'm really hoping God doesn't call me to this again. And I really tried to get everything I could into this one, but I'm grateful for the experience and I loved the writing process. I don't think it could have gone any better. For, I've heard other people's experiences and I kind of go, oh, I really, I was really lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you had the perfect combination. You had a mastermind, which yes. is a group of people coming together. You guys are all working towards similar goals. You're holding each other accountable. Huge believer in the power of masterminds and participating in them and, and hosting mm-hmm. myself. They're really powerful. But then I want to talk a little bit about this because like this, your editor setup is like the author's dream because yeah. you have someone that edits for traditional publishing houses working on your manuscript. What was that like for you? Well, you have to be humble. I mean, you definitely, <laughs> you have well, that's to That's a nice way to say it. <laughs> I, I mean, if you're going to be edited, you have to be humble. I will say like, there are moments where, you know, there's conversations and you're kind of going like, I don't like the way this is going. And I don't want to have to have this conversation or, or this, or, you know, she's asking more of you and you're kind of going, let's move on to the next chapter. I don't want to talk about this, you know, but at the same time, I know that it is the best book possible because of, Mm -hmm. of her input and her willingness to pull more out. And she had edited me for a couple of years through devotional writing on the glorious table prior. And so she knew my voice. We, I trusted her, which I think is a key part of the mm-hmm. editing process is really trusting the person you're working with. But there are definitely, so when I did my second project, there was even just one section and she highlighted and she said, you didn't write this. I don't know who this is. This isn't you pull it out. And she was right. Like I had let someone else get into my head and I had rewritten a Mm -hmm. section and she was like, this isn't you. And it's so valuable to have this voice who knows what you're trying to say. It can help you say it the way you're trying to say it. Mm -hmm. Because an editor isn't a good editor, isn't putting their words or their opinion in, Right. right? They're just helping you share your story. And she really tried to do that. And she pulled me or pushed me, I don't know which way you'd say, I feel like she pulled those words out <laughs> to, to share maybe more than I was, I would have been courageous to have shared on my own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, and this is a really important point, I think, for our listening audience, because sometimes I talk to aspiring authors, and they, they want to keep their manuscript close to the vest. You know, they don't want anybody else to read it. But this is a really, really important point, because I love something that you said, I know that my book is the best it could be, Mm -hmm. right? And that's really important because ultimately the book is something that's designed to impact other people. I mean, it's not really for us as the author, it's for the audience, right? So it's about giving them the best possible experience and best possible product that we as authors could give them. So I think that's a really important point for our listening audience to hear But also, as you go through that process of having to work with someone, they're going to pull things out of you that you didn't know were there that the Mm -hmm. audience needs to hear. So if you write in isolation, this is a big hot button of mine. If you write in isolation with no feedback, Mm -hmm. then you don't have the opportunity to have others come alongside you and say, hey, I think you should flesh this out a little bit more. What about this? You know, and so you you end up, although it's safer and it might feel better, 
it's probably not going to be as, I would argue, as relatable to the audience because some of those tough experiences that we don't want to share are the ones that really impact people. At least that's what I've heard. Uh, Absolutely. When I talk to is that, well, that was my favorite part. And I'm like, well, that wasn't my favorite part. <laughs> well, As a matter of fact, it wouldn't even be in there. <laughs> exactly. Oh, for sure. Well, and the other thing is you always know what you intended to say, mm-hmm. but you don't know that it comes across that way. And so even when my beta readers were reading things, there were some things that came across and even some phrasing and they were like, this is just mean. And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's no, no, that's football terminology. You know? And I was like, okay, well, if this is a normal response from people, we got to just cut it. Even though coaches wives who are reading it would understand And so we either needed to figure out a way to like put in a, this is coaching terminology kind of like, you know, note or just cut it. And I was like, just cut it. It's not worth it. (laughs) You know, we'll just rephrase it. And, but I would not have known that until feedback. Yeah. And I would rather know it from a beta reader than an Amazon review. (laughs) And that's a a mouthful right there. Right. And I agree. I'd rather hear it now than have it show up. Then you have a chance to, you know, fix it before it goes public. And then also we talked a little bit about the ministry side of it too, is Mm -hmm. we don't want something like that to be a deterrent from the message that we're trying to get across you know, sometimes something really, really small becomes so offensive to people, yes. right? And so it would be such a horrible thing for that, something that was completely innocent to be perceived as something else and obstruct the ability for the message to get out there. So I love what you said. Yeah. Not everything is worth fighting for, right? Exactly. And that's another thing an editor will do. You know, I would get question marks like, is this necessary? Could you like, is there another word? And, you know, here's six other words you might consider, you know, <laughs> so, you know, yeah. Yeah. Hey, you've said this word nine times on this page, you know, that kind of thing. And which you just don't realize. And, and you know, yeah. Grammarly will catch some of it, but even Grammarly at some point starts changing things to the same word. And so you really do need those other human eyes. And I mean, there were whole sections where she was like, oh my gosh. I mean, we pulled out a whole chapter and turned it into like another book or like to a little giveaway. She was like, you don't even need this. Like get it out of here, you know? But when you're looking at things in chapters, you don't realize where you've even repeated stuff. And Mm -hmm. so her voice was invaluable in the project. Wow. Sounds like an amazing person to partner with. And we talked about the importance of having a great relationship with your editor, someone that you can trust. That's hugely important. Now let's talk about once you were ready to, you know, investigate how to publish. Yep. So you started down a path and it didn't quite go as you anticipated. Talk to us a little bit about what you thought was going to happen in terms of the publishing of the book. So I had gone to a writer's conference and met with some acquisitions agents and everyone was like, oh yeah, I mean, your book proposal is great. And you know, this sounds great. And so I started emailing with an agent and thought, okay, here, we're going to move forward with this process. But it was, oh, well, first we need to get the numbers where they are before we can move forward. And so, you know, a bar would be set. And so then it was, um, okay, now I've met that bar and, you know, and you kind of have to show 
okay, here we are. And so then it was, oh, well, I don't know, let's, let's aim for this bar now. And, you know, and the thing is, for me, you know, I have a niche audience and that I'm writing for women in the public eye. And so when you're in the public eye, you're not, you're kind of hiding, you're not hanging Mm. out on social media and in a public platform a lot. And so I knew where my audience was. But also I work in digital media. And so I knew that my audience was reading my content because I could prove it in the Google Analytics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I could prove it in my open rate in my email. And you know, these analytics that I understand because I work in every day were just not of interest to this acquisitions agent. And yet they're actually the numbers that matter because, you know, like how many people like you on Instagram is something that you can buy. And, you know, how many people like your Facebook posts, that's something you can purchase. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I was like, I could falsely inflate this information for you, or we could work in real numbers Mm -hmm. that are actually of value. And so it was just this, you know, I've got 16,000 women I interact with every day in a private Facebook group just didn't matter. And so it just became very frustrating in the sense of like, you know, my comp book, and the person who's going to be writing the intro, I mean, her book's been in publication for over 10 years and it's sold like however many, you know, thousands of copies, like what in the world, what's the problem here? You know, it's been right. it's in third edition, you know, so it was just very confusing and frustrating. But mm-hmm. um, I think what ultimately came down to was I needed to go with the publisher that understood my buyer persona Mm. and who understood my audience. And that ended up being FCA or a publisher that works with FCA. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about that because I love marketing. Now that I understand it better when I wrote my book, I did not understand marketing, but you will find out very quickly that you need to understand marketing better (laughs) as you move more and more into that writing space. So let's talk, uh, because this is something that you do every day. Let's talk a little bit about what a buyer persona is and why you as a content marketer, because mm-hmm. maybe they'll actually listen to you. <laughs> why is really getting clear on your buyer persona so important as an author? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure I've heard you say this before, but you're not writing for everyone, right? You're only writing for a specific audience. And so you know, it's the people you're called to serve. And so you're writing for this, you know, semi-fictional person. And so for me, you know, I can picture that person in that it's, it's me, right? It's the other coaches' wives, but it's also expanded a little bit. And this was an area where my editor helps me as well, in the sense that she was like, this isn't just coaches' wives, you know, this is pastor's wives, and this is anyone in ministry. And I kind of chuckled because I was like, of course it is. I mean, pastor's wives have been some of my best mentors, you know? And so like for her, she was able to envision a little bit broader because of her life experiences, you know, and who she works with. But the reality is that it's those overlapping spaces. And so as you start to fill out that buyer persona and there's templates online, but you start to think about, you know, where does that person live? What does that person value? What are the spaces where they're interacting? And, you know, what's important to them? What's the pain point that you're trying to solve? And for me, it was this really specific pain point of you don't have to wilt in order to make your husband's career thrive, you can both thrive. And when you do that, your marriage will thrive and you will both be honoring the Lord to the best of your ability. 
that's really what I, my husband and I are both passionate about, but it was really the message of the book. Mm -hmm. I want to talk just a little bit because it was really touching for me. and, And I believe that it will bless the audience. Talk to us about the role that your husband played as you were pushing forward to birth this additional baby (laughs) (laughs) that you wanted to get out into the world. How did he support you through this process? Yeah. Well, I kind of said, I did not like the editing process very much. (laughs) So it did get to the point where, you know, it just, you kind of get into this momentum of like, I've just got to hit these deadlines and he just had to take on more. And so we had a lot of our marriage, especially at the beginning was him striving to move forward in his career and to achieve, you know, he wanted to hit some goals and he did, he had all his goals, won the national championship, whatever, you know, we moved around so he could do all those things. And, you know, as I was pursuing this dream of this book, he did what he uh, needed to do to allow me to hit my goals. And that included everything from picking up more chores around the house and cooking more. And I should say like, not just cooking, but like, I mean, you know, bacon wraps, pork loin and, you know, mm. like, I mean, you know, he really That's like, no. yeah, <laughs> but also just like sitting next to me and making sure that instead of being distracted, that I was editing and, you know, being involved in, Hey, this doesn't make sense. And like, let's make it make sense. And, you know, just getting that, you know, I think the reality is when you're doing a book project, it's the last mile that's the hardest. And, Mm. and it was just that last part of editing. And it's probably because I saved the, what I consider the worst chapters for the end, (laughs) but you know, it was those last chapters. I just did not want to confront that were at the end. And, you know, he just, you're going to get through, we're going to do it. And he did. And he was just there for every part of it. And even sharing it on social media and being my biggest cheerleader in any way good. But, you know, when I had said, Hey, my editor thinks I've got a, a book here and not just devotionals, he was like, let's do it from the very beginning. And, but I think what I said to you earlier is we both believe that, you know, marriage is a partnership. And, you know, part of that means that you're both thriving in the way you're created. And in order to do that, that means you sometimes you sacrifice for each other. And so, for him, that meant when our kids were little and he was off on the recruiting trail, I was home alone with two little kids. And um, then for me, that meant picking up the slack, you know, instead of sitting in a filthy house and being angry about it, just doing what needed to be done, right? So that we could get through the weeks and serving our family and and juggling coaching while he was doing that. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that story of partnership. So You guys bind together. You have a joint mission to get this book out. FCA says that they're behind you. They recognize the unique needs of your audience. And fast forward, the book gets published. Talk to me about now on the other side of it, what are you up to next? I know you have another project that you've been working on. Tell us about it. So I just released, and I self-published a Bible study called Embracing Holy Interruptions. And what was interesting was as people were reading lessons from the sidelines, one thing I talk about is our lifestyle of just this kind of open door policy with college kids and, you know, hospitality of just come on in and, you know, be this relational mentoring. And Mm -hmm. what I realized is that it was, it just felt a little overwhelming to people to kind of do that, but it was intriguing. 
And so we got a lot of, well, how do you do that? And that seems really overwhelming questions. And I thought, well, it's in scripture, like, come on people, (laughs) you know? And, um, and the reality is there didn't seem to be a discipleship tool out there that was structured in the way that I thought, well, gosh, you know, we could do this. Like this seems to be maybe something God's saying, you know, put your voice into this as well. And so I took the, uh, Let's see, it's InterVarsity has put together these five thresholds that a postmodern skeptic has to step through in order to learn to trust a Christian all the way through accepting Christ. And, you know, it's a pattern that we hear a lot right now with this whole deconversion story. It's also something that I think anyone who's kind of like on their own for the first time maybe goes through, like as they're mm-hmm. learning to have their faith be their own. Yeah. And so, you know, whether they're deconverting or they're just kind of going, oh, I want to decide if this is really what I believe, you know, we all kind of go through these, like, is this what I think? And, you know, we do this best in community, because that's how God's created us. And Mm -hmm. so we need mentors. And that's just not something the church, or at least churches we've been a part of have done a great job of training up is this mentor Mm -hmm. role, but it's something that's in scripture. And it's something that Jesus modeled. And so Embracing Holy Interruptions just looks at scripture through the lens of inductive Bible study. And so, you know, you're going through scripture every day and you're writing in your Bible, or if you want to print it off and you know, <laughs> your Bible, you can do that too. But I want you to write in your Bible so that the next time you open it, it's right there as well. And so you're learning a skill or like in, you know, if you know those skills, then you're just reinforcing them. And every day for six weeks, five days a week. You're reinforcing that inductive Bible study skill as you go through, you know, what Jesus did with the disciples and then how the disciples went on and modeled what Jesus had taught them. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that. So this time you self-published the book. So tell us about how that journey differed for you. And you still bought some people into the mix when you self-published. So talk to us a little bit about that self-publishing journey. Yes. So I actually loved self-publishing and it may be because it was a Bible study, but I used my same editor because I don't know that I could do a project without her. And I also think it's super important to have professionally done cover. And so that's an investment that I think is key. I still had beta readers. My mastermind group was a part of it, but I I think there's so many amazing platforms out there now, whether it's Amazon or I can't think of any right others right now. I know there's some, but you can just self-publish if you buy an ISBN number and you can distribute even out to um, Barnes and Noble and these other platforms. You don't have to wait for someone to tell you your voice matters. Like, especially if you've done the work with the buyer persona and you know that your target audience, like for me, people were saying, I want to learn how to do this. And so for me, I was like, I already know that people are asking this question and I know it's the audience that I serve. And so I'd done the work to build my buyer persona. I was serving my audience already and they're Mm -hmm. asking me a specific question. So it made sense to just create a tool to serve them. And so if you already know that you're doing that, Mm -hmm. why wait and then give someone else a larger percentage I mean, why not just publish it? Why not just publish it yourself, right? And you, yeah. you still talked about things that you did to make sure that the quality was still there, still bringing oh, the yeah. in, still doing the cover, still having the beta readers, the masterminds. But the thing is that it was possible for you to put out a really quality product that you knew your audience was already 
looking for, and you get to keep more of mm-hmm. <laughs> the profit from the book, right? You have more control over what's done with it. Like there's so many benefits and there's always pros and cons to every decision and every path that we take. But yeah, I mean, I think that's an amazing lesson for our audiences. Sometimes it does truly make sense for you to explore that self-publishing path. And it doesn't mean that you have to put out an inferior product. Because I think a lot of times people think if I self-publish, it's not going to be as good but you can put out a really good book that you know connects with your audience, helps them with a problem that they're dealing with and self-publish the book. So thank you Mm -hmm. for sharing that story. Well, let's make sure that folks know how to get in contact with you, get their copies of the book and see what you're up to next. What's the best place for them to go to keep up with you? Everything can be found on my website, lessonsfromthesidelines.com. I have a shop link that brings you out to all of my published resources and also to all my social media. Awesome. So please go check out Lessons from the Sidelines. Check out these amazing resources. And if you know anyone that's a coach's wife or maybe a pastor's wife that can benefit from this book, please make sure that you share this episode with them so that they can learn more about how they can find and pursue their own individual calling. Well, Beth, I appreciate you being here with us today. Before you go, I wonder if you could share a word of encouragement. And you shared so many today, but you know our audience is one that's pursuing this path of writing and publishing a book. And, And you have such a great experience because you've done traditional publishing, you've done self-publishing, you've had the audience, but according to industry standards, couldn't prove it. There's there's so many things that are in this interview that are just going to be so powerful for the listening audience. But I wonder if there's just one final piece of advice that you would share with someone as they're taking the journey as you have. Mm -hmm. I just think that the most important thing to remember is that if you're partnering with God and you've done the work, you know who your audience is, you don't have to wait for someone else to tell you that your voice matters. So if you know who your buyer persona is, your target audience, and you've got a great book out there, don't hesitate to pull the trigger. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed this week's episode of Publishing Secrets, where our mission is to inspire you to write, publish, and profit in a way that honors God. If this episode has been a blessing to you, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, then rate and review. And if you want support in your journey, whether you are a current author or an aspiring author, then join us on Facebook in the Christian Authors Network. Wherever you are in your journey, we have the best next step for you. So join us there and get the support that you need to make the impact that you have been called to make. Until next time, God bless.